This is Movie Hopping for Monday, November 19th, 2018. Across the table from me, my widow in crime. Mm, widow? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. That's that's fairly accurate. More like a black would... widow. Hmm. More yeah. like you would eat your spouse if given the opportunity. I would eat my spouse after having sex with them? Yeah. You remember that clip we saw in that weird bug movie that we watched? Yeah. With the worst music following up that, that sequence. Oh, what the hell was that movie called? The Something Chronicles? What the hell was that movie? The, so, the, you're the, right. Ma- the Maelstrom Chronicles? Ma- yeah, the Ma- yep. The Maelstrom Chronicles. That's right. Is that right? The, yeah, the one that Nick brought us to. Because <laughs> he thought it'd be a phenomenal idea to do a thing about a bug apocalypse, kind of? Yeah, it was, it was a two-hour, quote-unquote, documentary about bugs taking over the world. Yeah. Yeah, that was a weird one. I kind of like it. I did too, in a very strange way. <laughs> I kind of liked it, yeah. Yeah, when I saw that, though, I thought you. I thought, yeah, you. I mean, it's more like me. Yeah, I what mean, it, well, I mean, you. You'd like be curious to see what your partner tasted like. I think that that's all. I mean, you wouldn't do it like maliciously. You just want to take a bite of flesh and just give it a taste. I think maybe saute that shit. I. This could be the first time you ever put like a a bleep sound in the in the. Uh, in the in the podcast uh, i'm just gonna going now i think most partners know what their partners taste like <laughs> generally you'd be surprised you you would be surprised um oh, let, let's get off this note yeah uh, we have two movies to do today we're gonna do them in two parts again uh we did this a couple weeks ago it's oscar season man it is oscar season oh god snuck oh. up on you didn't it it did hit you like a wrecking ball Get is, ready. What the hell is coming out, by the way, for Oscar? Is it just... Well, this was a big one. This is it? This was a big one. Uh, we we have a new Clint Eastwood movie coming around the corner okay. called The Mule. The Mule, yes. We have... Speaking of mules, I saw a couple uh, mules walking on my road in Harlington, Connecticut the other oh, night. Oh, I saw that Snapchat. I know. Tell me what the fuck that Snapchat was. <laughs> so. Okay, go ahead. I was coming home from Abby's. And, um, you know, I'm just driving up my road and, uh, uh, I'm, I'm coming to, to, you know, I'm, I'm about like 500 feet away from where I have to turn to get into my driveway. And all of a sudden I'm just like, why are there little people walking on the road? What is, <laughs> I was like, well, that's strange. This is bizarre. So I was like, I'm going to pull up and talk to these people and see what's wrong. And then I pull up to them and they're fucking donkeys. Wow. They're just strolling in the middle of the road. Wow. In, in like, We're in Connecticut, bro. One o'clock. One o'clock in the morning. We're not in like uh, Buenos Aires. Like, what the hell? I did they have like things strapped to them? Yeah, those were like blankets to keep them warm from the cold. But so they weren't like free ranging donkeys. No, no. But they, we we uh, think they escaped because from uh, our neighbors in the back. Because like about you know a couple. Like a house, like in deep into the woods in our backyards, there is a there's a like a little group that we think was uh, run by the mob at some point. That's what my dad thinks. Okay. And anyway, um, they have a lot of animals back there. Oh, so there's there are donkeys in the area. Yes. Okay, so it's not that shocking then. No. You live in a neighborhood with donkeys, so to see donkeys on the road is yeah. not the craziest thing. <laughs> but they should not be out. They should not be out. No. It's the first time. How do you let a donkey escape? I don't know. <laughs> it's like the slowest, most chill animal. It is. You got to be a real dumbass to let your donkey escape. I mean, I mean donkey's literally the dumbest animal. They're meant to carry gold. We named jackasses after them. All right? They're fucking idiots. That's true. Okay. And then you think of donkey and Shrek. That I, I, a, I do. He's a total dumbass, but we love him anyway. We do love Isn't him. Isn't that the way. perfect analogy for a donkey? They're dumbasses, but we kind of love them anyway. I don't know what it is about donkeys. I kind of like, like donkeys. 
Does that sound weird I to say? I think generally speaking, <laughs> human beings embrace stupid animals. Yes. I think they just imbra- <laughs> I I don't I don't know if there's any stupid animal that we don't like. We we tend to be threatened by smart animals, I think. Accurate. Yeah. Which is why like we hate cats so much. <laughs> That's like, half true. It depends on how smart the cat is. Right. Yeah, cuz like like some cats are very like reserved and and kind of skittish and they tend to be a little bit more affectionate than the ones that are too smart that know that they can one up their own humans. Yeah. Same with dogs even. Like my dogs are way too smart. I love my dogs, but they're way too smart. They kick our asses frequently. Right. So we beat our dogs frequently. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no. Uh, no, I feel you. I think that's what it is. Um, it's it's just either we're threatened or we just like our animals to be cute and cuddly yeah. and to be subservient to us. These animals were kind of obnoxious, though, I have to admit, because as I'm w- driving down the road, I'm going like, I don't know, like a mile an hour as they're walking and I can't really get around them because they're occupying both lanes and I didn't want to run one over, obviously. Yeah. So I was like, all right, they'll just walk by my driveway and, and they'll continue on. Whatever, I'll just pull in afterwards. They turn into my driveway. Wow. They turn into <laughs> my driveway and then they just stop and start eating from my bushes. <laughs> this is quite a predicament you've gotten yourself in. So at the end of it all, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to take a couple videos, a couple pictures, so I still have a few on my phone, and I'm going to get out of the car and push these fucking donkeys along. And that's exactly what I did. You pushed the donkey? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, get out of here, donkey, pushing him. Yeah. You manhandled the donkey? I had a manhandle. What if the donkey kicked you in the face? It's a donkey. Dude, their foot is like, it's like eye level to your face, No, no, these were like baby donkeys. They weren't going to get- Still, they're still taller than you. (laughs) They're going to kick your ass. This donkey was not taller than me. Okay. This one was half my size. I could could prove it to you. Man, that was a really tiny donkey then. It was a really tiny donkey. But yes, I had to manhandle a donkey. (laughs) And did you like bring him back to the owner? Did you alert the owner? I mean, you could have done that. You could have been like, yo, I, your donkeys escaped and they're currently eating my shrubbery. For all we know, they're still out there. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. This is a terrible story. We, so I, I, I go into my basement afterwards and um, my mom's just laying on the couch for whatever reason. And um, yeah, she's sleeping. I guess she had like a headache or something. But I'm like, mom, there are donkeys outside. <laughs> she goes back to sleep. And then I wake her up again. I was like, should we call someone? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you call? Really, who do you call? The owners. That's who you call. Well, we we tried looking for them. We went out and we drove around. Did you? Yes, we did. Because from what I understand, you fucking manhandled the donkey out of your driveway. I had to get down my driveway. Oh, Jesus. I had shit. I had to go to bed, but then I realized, oh, wait, we got to save these donkeys. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. You are... You are the reason why we can't have nice things. <laughs> Here's what's coming up this Oscar season. Uh, we have this movie, The Front Runner, with Hugh Jackman, um, which is the uh, the story of What's-His-Face, the Gary Hart story. Mm-hmm. We have Green Book, which is directed by one half of the Fairley brothers. You know the Fairley brothers, I do right? know who the Fairley brothers are. Yeah, but this is like supposed to be like an Oscar bait movie with Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali interesting yeah that's around the corner that's going to be a contender i guess creed 2 is pretty soon we'll have to talk about that in some capacity i love creed the favorite with uh yorgos that's a yorgos movie which i really want to see yorgos lanthimos yeah i mean there's still a there's there's a lot man there's Uh, a lot of like films that i i'm not aware of though i like i feel like last year i had a good idea of what was coming out whereas now it's just like roma it roma the alfonso Cuaron movie there's an Netflix. Alfonso Cuaron movie? Well, there you go. It's going to be spectacular. It's like the second favorite for the best picture race. Wow. Yeah. It's supposed to be. It's Netflix only. 
Dude, what kind of fucking world are we living in where the Coen brothers and Alfonso Cuaron are both debuting a movie within the same month and it's going right to your laptops? Jesus. How Christ. crazy is that? I hate that? I did not watch Buster Scruggs on my uh, laptop. Well, thank way. God. All right. Just saying. You got it on the TV at yes, least? Yes, I did. Uh, you got Welcome to Marwin, which who knows? Oh, Vice. Ooh, <laughs> I kind of want to see that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. There's a Ruth... <laughs> Peter Ginsburg movie coming out called On the Basis of Sex. Which... <laughs> I, I, I keep seeing people talking about that, and I have no idea what to make of it. But It's, it's going to get a, a bunch of accolades. So, yeah, no, uh, it's starting to heat up. So what we're going to have to do now, because the summer was not really our time. We're not big summer people. We're no. fall people. Yeah. So in yeah. the summer, we sort of take a couple weeks off, and we'll skip a blockbuster here every now and again. We skipped a few. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I have still yet to see a bunch of the blockbusters that came out this summer. Now we're just going to like bury ourselves in the cinemas and we're just going to see all these Oscar baits and uh, and talk about them. So we're going to have to double down today. Two podcasts coming this week for the price of one. The first one is what we're doing right now. It's called Widows. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a film by the great Steve McQueen. Yes. Steve McQueen not, is back. Yes. Not, not back from the dead. This is the director. <laughs> Steve the, other Steve the other Steve McQueen. The other Steve McQueen. The other Steve McQueen. That's what my, I was telling my dad. He's like, wait, Steve McQueen directed? I'm just like, <laughs> no, it's the other Steve McQueen. He's just like, oh, so it's the it's the less important Steve McQueen. I'm like, well. Uh, maybe. Maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be accurate. Yes. So Steve McQueen is the director of 12, 12 Years a Slave. He did not win Best Director for that movie, nope. but the movie did win Best Picture he was sort of given, I think, after that movie, a license to make whatever he wanted. And, and and there was certainly a ton of demand for the next Steve McQueen movie. And that's sort of what we got enough, in yeah. Widows. Uh, I have not seen the rest of his filmography, mm. specifically the movies Hunger and Shame. Yep. Those are movies that you are quite fond of, mm. even though they are a bit heavy and dark in subject matter. Uh, were you excited at the prospect of a Steve McQueen caper movie, or did you want him to go back to sort of the dour Michael Fassbender fare? Honestly, I kind of wanted the <laughs> the Michael Fassbender depressing, horrible shit. Really? Because <laughs> that, and I, maybe part of that is just because I was not impressed with the trailers for Widows. Really? They were like fine, but it didn't look like anything that was gonna like wow me necessarily. The only thing attached to it that I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, is the fact that Steve McQueen is doing. Like what feels like a very pulpy, you know, like heist thriller. He's making like, his version of Heat. Yes, which I said after the movie, yeah. and I was just like, "This is this, yeah, this does not seem like a McQueen film at all." Especially when you watch his his first two films, you're just like, "I don't ever see him even have having the desire to escape movies like this." There's just something about that that he 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 always felt passionate to tell that kind of story, and it carried over with Twelve Years a Slave, which is has a similar sort of cinematic technique to those first two movies. Right. This is actually based on a miniseries from BBC in, I think it was 1987. So when McQueen was a child, he oh. watched this miniseries on the BBC, loved it. It I, I, Clearly it hasn't gotten that much acclaim because I had never heard of it before. And so what he did was hire Gillian Flynn to collaborate on the screenplay together and to reinterpret that miniseries. Ah. So it at first this sort of seems like just uh, McQueen's cashing another paycheck and is going to make one for the studios now. But what this really is is a personal project for him. This was something that he really wanted to make. And there are glimpses of it, even though 
for the most part, this is kind of a silly popcorn movie. Yeah. And it, and and that's not an insult by the way. Like it's a, it's a big compliment. This movie is so much better than it has any business being. Yes. So much better. Yeah. You know? This, this is a this is a jaws <laughs> yeah. in my opinion. Oh, well, may, sort of. No. Sort J- of kind of. Jaws is a- I think he I think he is a great example because yes. Heat is just another sort of caper movie with cops and robbers, but you have Michael Mann directing it and you have two all-time great performers acting in it yeah. plus a great supporting cast and it's like, yeah, this movie somehow is like an all-timer when it could just be another Steven Seagal movie. Oh yeah, this is another. Well, I think that's actually very accurate. Yeah, <laughs> but this is a, 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 a another prime example of what I talk about when I say like I don't really care what the movie's about. It could be the most cliched idea imaginable, and honestly, this is a very cliched idea sure. that I have seen time and time and time and time again. But. Steve McQueen knows how to direct a fucking movie. Right. There's no question. <laughs> he really knows how to direct a movie because this movie is quite good. Yeah, it is. It's quite kind good. of excellent. I walked out of this theater and Adam can attest to this. I was fucking losing my shit. <laughs> so you like I, I I'm not going to say I go as far to say that I like I'm in love with the movie. It's a movie that I think is incredibly good. But I, it's another thing where I think I. I admire it more than I love it. Right. That's not to say I don't like it, though. I almost love it more than I admire it. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. I've been waiting for another movie like this for a while. Okay. I have been waiting for another prestige, big cast heist movie that I can flip on on FX or TNT yes. on a rainy Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. Yep. It's another one that you can revisit. It is so much goddamn fun. It doesn't take itself super seriously, although there are elements of it that are very profound. Mm-hmm. It is, for the most part, just an awesome shoot 'em up caper, mm-hmm. and with with a great cast and a great director and an awesome script. Mm-hmm. And although, like, we can go through and poke holes because yes, there are plenty of holes to poke. Um, th- I had a, a few editing problems here and there. There were a few plot issues that. You could call more attention to if you wanted to, but I just found myself giving up when I when I was in the theater and just letting myself get immersed in this story. Mm-hmm. I just had such a great time, yep. and regardless of who's directing it and who's the cast and what we expect of a Steve McQueen movie in 2018, I cannot deny the fact that it is super goddamn entertaining. Yeah, and and that's it, man. That's all I need. That's all I need out of movies. Yes. I don't. Th- this is this is funny because when we were talking about this afterwards, this is probably it's it, it's always weird when I say it's my least favorite because it, it sounds like I hate the movie because I really don't at all. Right. I actually quite like the movie. It's just in the realm of his other films, this sits nicely at the bottom. But sure. I, but I strongly emphasize nicely at the bottom. Well, it doesn't. That's very important. It doesn't try to rise to the top. <laughs> no, is the thing, which is kind of why I like it more than I thought I would. Was because it's. It's Steve McQueen saying that he can choose to do a movie like this if he wants to. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Whereas most pe- directors would have been pigeonholed to do a certain type of film. Yeah. Whereas he's, he's like, no, I can do a pretty effective and taut uh, little heist thriller that, you know, take, takes some conventions and plays around with them and gives us a, a somewhat unique premise. But, but you know, ultimately uh, have fun with the whole idea. And I thought uh, this film is, you know elevated by its performances more than most movies. Oh, certainly. Because I was, was, was going to say, the film is uh, 
maybe would not have worked quite as well for me had the performance not have been the performance has not have been so great certainly the script does ask a lot from its performers and mm-hmm. specifically it asks them to go places where most heist movies don't go uh the characters here are not particularly likable mm-hmm. and they're not sort of like Clooney and Matt Damon and Brad Pitt wisecracking in the middle of Las Vegas no this is an Ocean's 11 it's small and very personal it's in small that way. it's personal Viola Davis is not the type of character you want to give a hug to. No. Um, neither are most of these women, although they've gone through a lot. They're complicated and they're dirty, and the crime that they're about to commit is complicated and dirty, and the backdrop feels grimy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I love about this movie is how it treats the city of Chicago and what it tells us about the city of mm-hmm. Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um this is the biggest compliment I think I can ever pay to a piece of art. But I found myself thinking about The Wire as I was watching this Ooh, thing. Ooh, eh, there you go. Yeah, I, um, I can see that. Yeah. The Wire, in my opinion, is one of the five best American stories ever told. <laughs> and this had so many homages to that show. And it gave me a portrait of a city that you don't find in even like a Michael Mann movie as or yeah. a Tarantino movie. Or a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Like, all of those directors give you a sense of place and tell you the story of Los Angeles in a compelling way. Yep. But it doesn't give you a glimpse into the other side of the tracks in the way that this movie does. Mm -hmm. It gives you a sense from top to bottom how this city works, the corruption at play, the racial politics, the gender politics, and not in some sort of idealistic social justice warrior way. Nope. In a real, authentic, journalistic way at times. Because it feels to me, it's almost like it, the film is approaching the city and the characters, all the characters, if nobody's a hero, really. Right. If that makes sense. So it comes at it with an incredibly unbiased perspective. Right. Where it's like, I wasn't really sure. I, I literally watching, I was like, I don't really know who's the good guy here. But uh, oddly, it, it was it was fitting for the, the world that this movie was setting up anyway, especially down to when they were trying to figure out how they were going to side with the Colin Farrell's character. Sure. Which I, who I thought was going to ultimate ultimately be the villain. And he kind of was. But then he's also kind of not. Well, it's I, I'm not sure you can but, say there's one villain in yeah. this. I mean, you could say there are bad guys yes. and antagonists. I don't know if you can say villain. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to The Wire. It's funny. So Gillian Flynn, who wrote this thing... Uh, used to be a television critic for Entertainment Weekly. Really? Yes, that was her thing. And so I have to... I I get glimpses of this whenever I see her stuff. I've seen now Gone Girl. What was the other movie that that was uh, based off of her novel? She did Sharp Objects. Sharp... Okay, Sharp Objects. That's a television series. Right. Did the TV... Which I watched the whole thing of. Uh, Did she write a movie as an original screenplay? There's another Gillian Flynn thing. I think so, yes. Let me let me make sure that's right. She did Gone Girl. Oh, there was a movie called Dark Places that was yep, based yep. off there you go. one of her novels. And now she's sort of getting into the original screenplay game. Uh, I have to think that she in some way was influenced by how um, how how non flashy the wire was and how it doesn't go out of its way to paint particular characters as heroes and particular characters as villains. The biggest character in The Wire is the city of Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And the individual chess pieces that get moved around the board in that show are just getting moved around by the system. 
It's yeah. just Baltimore will chew you up and spit you out. You can be an idealistic mayoral candidate, and then when you ultimately get into office, you have no choice but to screw the little guy over. You can be a drug dealer that's just trying to make a decent living, and you have to do ugly things in order to do it. You can be a cop that is both trying to do the right thing but also has to break the rules in order to accomplish their ultimate goals and to keep justice in this city. Um, It doesn't look down on any one particular character or any one walk of life. Mm -hmm. And that's what this movie did so, so well. Um, I could have used even more of the politics. The race between Colin Farrell and, uh, is it uh, David Tyree Henry? Brian Tyree Henry? Um, Who plays the gangster character. Manning Manning was the character. Manning is the character's name. That race reminded me so much of The Wire Mm -hmm. in that, you know, it's it's this uh, it's this drug dealer that's trying to pe- play it safe. He's ambitious, and so his ambition towards uh, um, his criminal enterprises is now being applied to the political space. Yes. And it shows you that thin line that exists between legit business and illegitimate business. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that whole dynamic. This movie never asked you to take a side in this race. Yep. It never asked you to root for one candidate over the other. All it said was, this is our political system. This is the wretched people that have taken it over and abused it. And now look what we're stuck with. A racist and a criminal. And actually, the racist is also a criminal. You know, it, it, yeah. it, It's amazing stuff. It really is excellent little atmospheric shit that is just sort of added <laughs> into the margins that completes what on its own is still an interesting uh, uh, heist movie. Mm-hmm. You know, an, an, entertain, an entertaining heist movie. What did you think of those two performances specifically? Uh, oh, um, uh, the Garrett guy who played Manning mm-hmm. was fantastic. He's and, awesome. And scary, and he has such a presence every time he's on screen, and it's very uncomfortable. Yep. He's excellent. Colin Farrell, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Weird accent. Very weird accent. Uh, he, he's got some charm to him, but he's, it's, it's not Colin Farrell's best work. I'll, I'll just say that. He's got his moments, though. I'll say that certainly with one particular scene, which is uh, or not even a scene; it's a shot. Yeah, it's my favorite shot in the film, and it's when um, uh, where he's just kind of letting loose in the car because he's angry at the the journalists that are trying to uncover the shit right. that's going on with him. And it starts. It does. I was. Oh my god! It's it's one of those moments where it's like I never would have thought of that. And it says so much about what you were just talking about with the city of Chicago and the people in it, where it it doesn't go inside the car. It's so fucking. It stays on one. It's my favorite shot of the movie. Yeah, no, my favorite shot of the yeah. film. Yeah, and it just stays on one side of the city as he's just rambling on in this car about the the shit that he has to deal with, and then he's yelling at his girlfriend for whether or not she's had sex with a black man. Right. And at, by the way, as a black man drives the limo. Yeah, it's fucked up. And you see the black man sort of in the shadows of the windshield. Oh my! As God. sort of the unnoticed it's te- guy. It's terrible. No, but it's amazing. You're it's, right yeah, though. Right. It's amazing. The shot that he's referring to is when Colin Farrell's at one campaign stop. And it, he's driving back to his campaign yeah. headquarters. Because normally you would cut inside the car, right, to get what to, to get a sense of what's going on. But that's not what this film's concern is no. at all. No, it's conf- at the guy that's being forgotten outside, mm-hmm. and that's what it is. It's a guy that has lived a luxurious life because of his last name mm-hmm. and because of what his father gave him. Yep. Driving through the city from the black neighborhood to the white neighborhood, and, and I love how it, it it stays on that one side, and yep. then right as we get to the proper neighborhood. Yep. Hands over. And now look what it looks like yep. now. And meanwhile, 
he's in the darkness because yep. he doesn't see any of it. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. in this limo. You can't see him because he can't see outside the car. It's such a, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, like, I don't know what, how I did, like, I wouldn't have thought of that because the idea is to, to kind of cover up the truth of what's really going on here. And you would think like, just don't show it. I would have been, I would have because in my mind I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Show these characters acting. But then, but then when you see a play out, it's like, fuck right he's right <laughs> no because it's it's what you're missing yeah steve mcqueen is telling you what we're missing in this whole and, and that's that's why it's so great man and and that's it's so much more powerful than say oh man what's a movie that that sort of that that black klansman for example like right like black klansman beats you over the head with its message and makes a and makes the black man the star and it yep. and it's not to say that obviously like I, I don't want movies starring black people but when you're when you're making a movie about how black people have been left behind what you have to do is show the people left behind mm-hmm. you know like and so that's what this movie does is it is it just sort of subtly moves the camera in the direction of the forgotten ones, mm-hmm. and that that is almost as powerful as making a movie starring a black man. Yeah, right. And 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 just sort of the subtle stuff with Liam Neeson and Viola Davis's son. Although that scene, I I, I maybe would have played the scene a little bit differently. Like that's another just sort of offhanded remark about the state of police and the state of African Americans in inner cities. Um, and it doesn't beat you over the head with it, you know, and, and you're just asked to sit there and watch and listen and just subtly pick up what the movie's trying to tell you. And I was so scared that it was going to start beating me over the head because there's always a there's a few moments here and there where it it really does feel like they're going to go go into that idea of just really ham fisting these ideas that you're referring to really, really hard and down your throat. But they never do, right. which is why the film always ended up being very satisfying for me at the end of every scene. And I remember at the end of that moment uh, with that with that ending shot of him walking back into his house, that's for me, that's the moment in the film where I just sit back and I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sure. It's it's working. It works. It <laughs> yeah. absolutely does. It works on every front. Mm hmm. And it's all there. All the pieces are there. I mean, this is a movie starring three women. Yeah. Right? It's a movie about three women pulling off a heist. They could have easily went into the sort of pussy hat wearing (laughs) hyper feminism that has defined a lot of films over the last five to ten years or so. Mm -hmm. But in this particular era, in 2018, in the height of Me Too, this movie decides to play it quieter. And it's not that the messages aren't there. Yep. But at the end of the day, this is just a story that happens to be about women. And in that way, it's more true to the female experience than Ocean's 8 or Ghostbusters or any of these sort of uh, these feminist statements of the last five years. Because, yeah, it doesn't draw attention to it. It just is. It just is. Which is what I want. Which is what life is, man. It just is. (laughs) Give it to me that way because that's that's all we ever want. That's that's the proper, comfortable way of doing it for God's sakes. Exactly. I, 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 I love that. Especially in, in when the heist actually happens, because in the in the way they 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 dress up for the heist, the way they execute the heist, to when they reveal themselves, I was so concerned that uh, one of the characters gonna, was going to be like, "Oh my God, women!" And it's like, right? No, doesn't no, happen. It wasn't. Doesn't happen. Yes, it's just they happen to be women, yeah. and they're all unique women in their own ways. And I guess there is an element at, naturally th- that feminism at, plays in this whole ordeal, but. Mm-hmm. Still, like Viola Davis 
could easily be a male character. Yeah, no, right? exactly. Like, and and as could Michelle Rodriguez, and 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 as could the rest of this female cast. And that's really the question we should be asking: Could you swap the men and women roles if you wanted to? You could. It's a different yeah. movie. Yes. No. I mean, you're absolutely. telling a different movie. You're telling absolutely. a different story, certainly. Yes. But yeah, you could. But the, the question is: Does this require them to be one or the other? And if you can kind of freely do that, I I would hope you'd be a little more okay with that. I'm speaking to certain feminists here. Right. <laughs> Sorry, but. <laughs> No, but isn't that what you want, though? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, again, I don't want this to be way too political here because I just really like this movie as a Yeah, me too. Movie. Exactly, yeah. You know, so I, I, dissecting the politics is a little silly. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, isn't that what y- you want all groups to be portrayed as? Mm-hmm. Don't you want everybody to just exist and their demographics to be secondary? I mean, isn't that the that's yeah. the goal, right? And that's what was so baffling about this movie to me because I'm seeing because again, and I'm sorry, but just the nature of movies and politics and entertainment today. When I'm seeing the cast and how diverse it is, I'm like, oh god, they're gonna draw attention to the so, fact that so, it's a it's a diverse cast right. with just all women, blah blah blah, and it's gonna get distracting and it's gonna lose all meaning and substance. Yep. And then I saw the movie and I'm like, wow. I love you, Steve McQueen. <laughs> you I'm gonna tell you. I'm that. gonna tell you a story. Okay, I'm gonna tell yep. you a story. Um, my brother, yes, is the biggest Liam Neeson fan in the world. Ooh. The biggest one. Taken's his favorite movie. Cool. The Gray might be his second favorite movie. Has he seen Schindler's List? Nonstop might be his third favorite movie. He's never seen Schindler's List. He's seen Schindler's List, but okay. you understand what I'm saying. Yes, here, I do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. What you're There's a Snowplow movie with Liam Neeson in it coming out in January. We will be the first ones in line to see that one this January. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. He, as a immature uh, college young male, um, it, he idolizes his action heroes. You know, you went through that phase yourself, I'm sure, in a younger, more immature time. And I think in many ways, he sort of worships the idea of the all-American badass male. And Liam Neeson is that stand-in, even though he's Irish. Um, So when I told him, yo, there's this movie coming out called Widows, and the plot is that Liam Neeson dies in the first 10 minutes of the movie, and his wife has to avenge his death, essentially... He was insulted by the very premise. Of it. He <laughs> okay. was, and we got in a two-hour-long shouting match about how absurd and how PC and how social justice warrior-centric this movie was going to be, and that if I was were to see this movie and give this movie fifteen dollars of my hard-earned money, I would be disowned from this family. Essentially, <laughs> I w- So I'll be honest with you. As I was coming into this movie, I expected. All right, they cast Liam Neeson because they wanted to say something about the state of the American male in cinema. Which is right. kind of what I thought. Right, I, I, I just assumed. It's like, okay, you're going to kill him off in the first 10 minutes. That that casting decision in and of itself is commentary, and it is part of the story. It's part of the thematic implications of the movie. Uh, and I also expected this to be a lot of, hoorah, we're women, we're so great. Me too. This movie was none of that at all. And specifically in the... I guess people have seen this movie by the time they're listening to this, right? Um, the uh, the fact that Liam Neeson comes back to life and becomes a sort of villain mm-hmm. is incredible. Yeah. It's great. And and it, it turns this entire idea on its head. This is just a caper 
with men and women playing equal roles in the caper. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. And that's here, dope. Well, exactly. And the, just the idea that the, how how incredibly flawed these women are, too. That's the other thing. I right. Was, they're not superheroes, and they fuck up a lot in this movie. I mean, constantly. Sure. And it's great to see. It's really great to see, like, the the idea that even, the, even though they are... Because, um, again, this is another problem with uh, trends in movies is that if you're, you're trying to empower these characters, the, the, the best thing to do is just to make them superheroes. And I'm just like, well, that, that makes me, I don't know, have, have a greater disconnect with them. Right. I don't know. I want to, I, I need to get a sense that they're facing adversity so that I can, you know, uh, understand their struggle. Sure. And if you don't give me that, then what's the point? Whereas, uh, this film does that brilliantly. But it, again, like you said, it's, it's, it's fair with it. Even, even the, 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 the male characters, are, I, I keep, I, I shouldn't even care about that. Just the characters, every single person in this movie has their equal level of problems that they're trying to deal with. Even the ones who are supposed to be seen as the quote unquote bad guys. There's a strange amount of sympathy for this movie that I did not expect to have. Right. I did not expect to feel for, uh, the quote unquote bad guys as much as I ended up uh, yeah. feeling for them really. Yeah. And, and it's not like, these characters are genderless. Like there is no. still an element of their womanhood that, that Oh, one is, of them especially. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is still a movie about like women that that have to take care of business. In in the way that a lot of women have to take care of business in the real world. Mm-hmm. Right? Viola Davis is consistently seen with her dog. Yep. Right? And her dog continues to pop into screen when there's no need for the dog to be there. She's always taking the dog places. Do you mind if I bring my dog in your house? I this, love that. Right? She's always taking care of the dog because she's a nurturer. She's she she takes care of her family. And the thing that haunts her is the fact that she was not able to take care of her son. Right? It's a movie about a mother. Yep. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki's character. Mm-hmm. She's great in this, by the way. Mm-hmm. She's awesome in this. I, I I forgot where I had seen her last. I guess she was in The Great Gatsby and she was in Guardians and... Did a bunch of like blockbuster fare. Oh, she was in Guardians. She played that gold chick. Right. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. She's really tall. Mm-hmm. She's so tall. Yeah. She is very tall. It makes me uncomfortable how tall she is. <laughs> she is very tall. But that's still that's a woman story. That's a story about a, a woman trying to find her place in the world and dealing with motherhood and mm-hmm. uh, and. Even I mean that movie ex- kind of uh, explores her her sexual activity to a pretty high degree as well. But it, right. but it, again, it doesn't really address it as as much of a problem. Where they could have gone and taken it into the direction at first with her mother and addressed it as more of like a more underlying character issue. But she sort of uses it to her advantage and and in a way that's kind of endearing. Right. So yeah, but they deal with the mother stuff too. Certainly. Yes, absolutely. Uh, with Jackie Weaver's character, they're careful with it. Michelle Rodriguez is a mom. Yeah. She can't make the heist because she can't get a babysitter. I love that. It's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's awesome stuff. <laughs> it's really good. You're sitting in a writer's room. It's like, so she can't get the job because she's she's in jail and she, she needs to escape her parole officer, blah, 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 blah. It's like, why don't we just have it be like she, she needs to watch out for her kids? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, Never would have thought of that. Uh, I, I should find her name, but the woman that played the babysitter in this movie... Uh, I thought it was just spectacular. Who the hell is she? she I had never great. seen her in anything, but she is a, a hair salon owner, or I guess worker. Right, her name is Cynthia Erivo. Cynthia, yeah, Erivo. And she was in Bad Times at the El Royale this year. Hmm. So, wow, big fall for her. Interesting. And nothing else. Bad Times at the El Royale, Widows. She was in an episode of Broad City. Cool. Um, I thought she was great too. Yeah, it was awesome. There, no, there's not a single bad link in this movie. I think. 
Yeah, it really I, is. I couldn't find the weak spot. You haven't talked about your favorite one though, Nico. What's going on? Oh shit. Have you forgotten? You haven't forgotten. No. Are you serious? <laughs> I've been revving up for this thing the whole podcast. <laughs> I've been saving this till last, baby. Oh. Well, that's all right. We'll talk about it now. Go ahead. Free Bobby Duvall, baby. <laughs> they let him loose. <laughs> Bobby's on the loose, baby. <laughs> Woo! Duvall in this movie is awesome. <laughs> How dope is Duvall in this thing? It's pretty Woo! Good. It's pretty good. It's Bobby! Pretty good. <laughs> he's back! He's off the chain. He is back! Oh my, you know what? I've been waiting. I watched that stupid fucking movie with Robert Downey Jr. a couple years ago. What was that movie called where he played the dad? The Judge. The Judge. Oh my God, he's awful in that. (laughs) Well, actually, he's not awful, but that movie is terrible. Mm -hmm. And for the last like 20 years, he's been doing that thing that De Niro and Pacino have been doing, where it's like, all right, we're just going to take minor bit parts and we're not going to really be acting. We're just going to sort of play ourselves in them. Old grandpas. Yeah, old grandpas. And at first I thought, all right, that's what Duvall is going to be in this movie. You could put Sam Shepard in that role or De Niro in that role or Robert Redford in that role and they would all look the same. Couldn't put Sam Shepard in that role anymore. Well, I guess not he's... anymore, but you're right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. You know what I mean. Uh, fucking no, man. Bring back Apocalypse Now. <laughs> Godfather network fucking Bobby Duvall put him on screen give him the ball and just let him go man and he's just jacking up threes the whole scene and a few of them don't go in by the way he misses a couple of those shots Mm -hmm. but he's about 70% from the three point line in this scene he's incredible when he's there screaming at his idiot son and screaming at her his doorstop of a what is it a paperweight tell your redheaded paperweight (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> great line great line they let Duvall loose and he's only in about three or four scenes of the movie he's not in much no. but he makes the most of that screen time oh my son whoa oh, man. whoa he's dropping n-words <laughs> oh, he is God. so cartoonishly racist but and I felt bad because when he first said the n-word I started laughing and I, I had to like catch myself because I was in public and I forgot. Uh, you realized we were sitting next to a... <laughs> yeah, we were sitting next to an African-American couple, so that was probably not the best idea. I, I was just... <laughs> they laughed a little bit, too. Right. They're like, whoa! Oh, I God. find cartoonish racism was... in movies to be hilarious. But it, it was also like... It was real, though. Like, Duvall's racism, oh, as he... over-the-top as it was at times, did feel like... He did feel like a councilman in Chicago. He, he believed everything I was hearing out of his mouth. Right. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> maybe not a good thing, but... No, it made... I mean, it's a great thing, but... Uh... <laughs> no, it, ma- it made sense. It did. Yes, it, it, was did. A, it was a real character, even yeah. though it was turned up to 11. Yes. Uh, excellent performance. Excellent... Uh, I don't know if it's a comeback. Maybe it is, but it's excellent to see him doing this kind of a role. I'm not sure if it's a comeback, per no. se. No, no, no. Uh, but... <laughs> Man, it's been a... Let me go... I'm, I'm looking at his IMDb page right now. It, it, he was in Jack Reacher. He was? Yeah, he's made a bunch of movies you've never heard of. He was in Crazy Heart, I guess. Uh, Yeah, man. Tom Hagen, baby. He's back. It's nice. Give me more Duvall. <laughs> yes, I love Duvall in this movie. As did I. He was quite good. I have another performance I want to call attention to as well. Oh, God. I can only imagine. Uh, Yeah, I think, I think you can imagine. Yes, I can. Right. Um... So it turns out like Daniel Kaluuya is like one of the five best actors working today. 
That is one of your favorite things to say, by the way. He's one of the five best X yeah. to work today. Well, I like top five lists. I yes, think he's do. there. I think he's in the top five. <laughs> he was very good in this. But again, to me, underused, I would have loved to have seen so much more of him. But oh my God, when it, whenever he was on screen, it was electric. So oh, it was so good. At the beginning of this movie where the guys fucked up, uh, I guess. Well, no, he, they're the ones that fucked up the heist, right? Yeah. Or they were the ones that let all the money get stolen. Mm-hmm. Kalua's in this high school gym <laughs> asking them to freestyle rap for him. And he starts getting in their grill like the snake from Jungle Book. <laughs> you know what I mean? His head is just on a swivel. <laughs> And, and he gets in their faces and it starts kind of bobbing his head, but also like, what the hell is it's going on right now? uncomfortable. And then shoots it's them. Fun. It's so good, man. This guy is so creepy. But it, not only that, he, in Get Out, he is this awesome lead of a horror movie mm-hmm. who it has to be in, entirely sympathetic and likable, and you have to believe his journey. Yep. In Black Panther... He's just sort of a sidekick that is underutilized, but he's still one of the three or four best performances in that movie. Oh, absolutely. And then in Sicario, he plays sort of... Oh, he is in Sicario. That's right. Yeah. He's one of the more underutilized uh, aspects of Sicario as well. It's easy to overlook him in that movie, but he's excellent in that too. He's got more charisma than most actors working today too. That's the other thing about it. I just love seeing him work. That's the thing. I was watching Sicario not so long ago. I'm just like, fuck, I love Kahlua. Yeah. And just every little moment he has. There's just, there's something about those eyes, man. Yeah, it's okay. Just don't keep us in the dark. Right. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, don't keep us in the dark. I love you, Kahlua. I, I, oh, he's so great. There is something about those eyes. You look at those eyes and they tell you a, a thousand-year-old story. Mm. There's some, it, it, they just are well-worn and mysterious. <laughs> and it's like, I, I don't know what's going on behind them. It might be good, it might be bad, and you're about to find out. They certainly use those eyes to great effect and get out. Certainly. When he's, oh, that scene when he was just crying and his eyes are just wide-eyed. And, oh, right. God. He's just entranced in whatever he's been hypnotized with. Oh. No, those, that, yeah. Classic that, shot. In that case, the eye portrays terror, but here yeah. it's, the, it's mystery and mm-hmm. it's, it, it's this sort of, he's a predator in this. Yeah. And he's just, he's, he's like the Terminator. He just comes after you and he always seems to be there. He's omnipresent. It's so creepy. It's so, so goddamn creepy. creepy. I love it, though. Um, I, I loved every element of this performance. And you're right. Although he was in a fair amount of it, I did want more. I, I want more starring roles out of him. He's so good. He's so good. He's my favorite performance in this movie, as a matter of fact. Uh, he's, he's awesome. Probably, as, yeah. as much as I love Bobby D. Uh, yeah well he he i will say like every time he yeah when he was on screen he's the one that i wanted more of most of the time right exactly yeah. um let's uh i guess let's talk about the plot real quick as as we wrap this thing up and now we get into my my biggest criticism of the okay movie. give me your biggest criticism this is the most the, too plotty for its own good yeah far too plotty for its own good right and it and it loses me in spots it's, that's a good way to describe this movie as far as like how it captures my attention is that it's very 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 spotty because it is ridiculously plotty, and this is—it's uh, what I always say about movies—is that when you when you focus too much on a, on an expansive and complex plot, you don't have a lot of room to grow. I don't know. I like I like films that stick to smaller ideas that can really grow off of that smaller idea and make the characters a little more emotionally resonant and compelling, and so on and so forth. And this movie certainly does that. It's just when it needs to only focus on the plot details, it really just loses. I I I was losing interest in in places here and there. It always picked itself back up, always. But 
the film would have benefited from taking itself a taking and maybe not taking its time but honing it back a little more on just how crazy it was getting with the conspiracy and whatnot yeah it's a it's a script issue no doubt i don't think it's a directorial issue it's a gillian flynn script so it's important to keep in mind that she makes pulpy entertainment um she makes stuff with lots of twists and uh and lots of turns and a lot of plot and i've seen her i've seen her do it better (sighs) i haven't i have (laughs) (laughs) sorry adam i haven't yeah i have (laughs) No, okay, this is interesting. Let's let's have this argument. <laughs> so I find this movie to be so much better than Gone Girl. And I also uh, f- find Steve McQueen and her to be much more suited for one another than Fincher and her. Maybe? Fincher, I, I think here's the problem. I don't know. I thought there was a, a greater disconnect here, personally. But... Here, here's the problem. Fincher is a cynical fuck. Yes. And he's always looking for the 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 meta commentary on top of the commentary. Mm-hmm. He's always looking to take the material and say something cheeky about it, mm-hmm. you know? Because he he's he finds himself to be way too clever. And sometimes that works. In Fight Club that works. That's a satirical uh uh self-aware hyperkinetic movie that requires a lot of meta analysis. This is just a a heist movie. Mm-hmm. And some and the thing about Gone Girl is it could have been just another pulpy uh wife screws over the husband and takes a bag of money and runs away. Like it could have been that, but it wasn't. He felt the need to say something more. And for some reason, I found this material to work a lot more because Steve McQueen just went for it and played it straight. And 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 inserted the commentary on the margins rather than saying something so profoundly uh, cynical about marriage in the case of Gone Girl. Sure, Steve McQueen's attempt is not as it's I don't know it's not as flavorful. I don't remember it as much. This is for for Gone Girl's flaws that it has to comment commentate on about marriage. It sort of makes up for that by how it uh, examines the media. Which is yeah. which is very true to me, and that's and that's most of the movie. The, mar- the honestly, the marriage elements are, I mean, they're maybe more important than the media elements, but they don't carry it as much as the as those aspects that I was just referring to. So, I don't know. That's why Gone Girl for me is a much more interesting movie than this, and it sticks with me more. And I was watching Gone Girl uh, like a month and a half ago for some reason. I don't know why, but I just was. But I was like. Yeah, man, I, I, for, for strange and, and, and out there as this story is, and even though it, you're right, it doesn't really have to be, I, 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 I'm never going to forget this. And its presentation is just wonderful in that way. And it's a movie that is incredibly efficient in that way for as complex as it is. Whereas like this movie was not as efficient in my eyes. It was a little rough around the edges, that's, certainly. That's, that's kind of as polished. Whereas that's that's kind of what I'm talking. about. I feel like Fincher's sensibilities for going to the strange, dark places is it because Steve McQueen goes to dark places, but he goes to very real dark places. Whereas Fincher is more more interested in like the the complex ideas that are kind of you know up above, like you were just talking about, like with Fight Club or in the mind. He enjoys he enjoys exploring the human mind, which sometimes gets on my nerves. Because he feels the need to say more than maybe e- he even can speak on. Sure, you know, like, it, it, but there, it there's a little too much self awareness, which is fine. I, again, I like self awareness, but it, and in some cases it works, some cases it doesn't with Fincher. But I don't know. In the case of Gone Girl, it's just I don't know. 
it, it just sticks with me a little bit more. I like that presentation a lot more. And I think uh, Fincher was more suited to handle Gillian Flynn's twists. Because I, I, especially when the twists happen in Gone Girl, they just, they just, I'm just like, what, 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 what? But effectively so. Whereas in this, yeah, the truck blew up. Okay, so Liam Neeson's still alive, right? Right. Well, no, okay. So I get that. Um, I, I almost felt like that twist was inevitable. And I don't necessarily know if if McQueen could have done anything about it other than to change the script himself. And listen, I'll, I'll give him flack because he did co-write the thing. It wasn't just a Gillian yes. Flynn adaptation. Um, it, 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 uh, I, I just appreciate the fact that the movie let the movie be. Mm-hmm. And it's and it just sort of got out of the way. Fincher never gets out of the way. But it's it's I guess it's a it's a question of whether or not you you want Fincher to get out of the way. Like I I want Fincher in my way all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that attitude. I love that sensibility. And Gone Girl's not his best film. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But for all of its flaws, it, it more than makes up for it for just it's it's just sublime storytelling for I, for as crazy as that movie is. Right. It's a, like that's to me, that's a movie that is a lot better than it had any right to be. Well, it could have been more fun, though. Couldn't oh, it? I, it's so much fun. It's funny, but it's it's like a dark, twisted funny. So what? I like dark and twisted funny. <laughs> That's that's exact. That's my favorite kind of uh, story, I guess. That's why I like Green Room so much, even it, though not really funny. But well, it it just sort of it. I don't know. The sensibility is always going to turn me off, and I, I I just have to accept that. I guess the, the marriage thing I agree with. That's the one uh, thematic element where I'm like, I don't I don't see that right ever. But the media presence, yeah, I see that. Yeah, that stuff exists on the margins, sure. To, to the point where I was like, it, it, to, that alone carries me through the film to the point, and in, in in a very interesting way, to the point where I'm just like, yeah, it's hard for me to really, you know, uh, to give this film like a failing grade for me to even say I don't like it because I. I it's another one of those examples where it's like, yeah, I could criticize this and that, but am, am I enjoying my time because of you know the way it's tackling this issue? It's like, yeah, kind okay. of am. All right. And in a movie that uh, uh, is using Ben Affleck and he's actually good in it. Wow. I mean, come on, Nico. Yeah, but he's eh, okay. But he's good for the reasons that he's not good. <laughs> exactly. But right. That's but what that's it what is. makes it good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, that no, it that is. It, it is the smartest decision Fincher made in that movie mm. is to cast Ben Affleck. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what, a, what a weird thing you never thought you'd say. No, it's true, though. <laughs> because he's an empty, sh- like, shell of a man with no charisma and, and no personality. And that's what the character demands. Mm-hmm. And so any performance, <laughs> anything that Ben Affleck tried would have looked exactly like that, yep. which is the key. Yep. Uh, didn't even have to act. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right? Didn't even have to. That's fair. Didn't even have to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I I do agree though from a from a plot point of view, it it did it, 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 it did try a little too hard, yes. and, I, and I'll admit that the it, Liam Neeson twist felt unnecessary. Yeah. Um, and it, it be, like I said, because of that, it does feel far less efficient and you know just on point. Like that's the thing about Gone Girl for me is that for as crazy and twisty as it gets, it feels like it knows exactly what it's doing. Whereas sure. this at times feel felt like it was kind of getting lost. Where it's like maybe we'll focus on this uh, subplot with these characters and it's like, "Oh wait, too much time. Let's go back to this thing." Yeah. You know what I mean? And they cast, I mean, Jackie Weaver as the mom never came back into the picture. The election subplot in it itself, although like they sort of wrapped it up it didn't really go anywhere. I mean, Colin Farrell... So the relationship between Colin Farrell and Viola Davis, I, I guess, what is she doing in that scene? She's she's extending the olive branch? She's like saying, let's do this together before I rob you? 
I, it, or is she scouting out the place ahead of time before she robs him? That's the ultimate, uh, uh, I guess that's the ultimate purpose as to why she's there. But, you know, I guess it's just an added bonus for her to sort of one-up him and get one on him before she left. Right. It's, it's more to, like, satisfy her character in that moment, I suppose. Right. But that's about it. Like, it didn't, it didn't really serve a, a great deal of a plot function at the end of the day. The only thing that was important is that she scouted out the place, really. Sure. And the political race doesn't really dovetail into the heist, although the the, the same players are involved. Yes. Um, the fact that they're running for office really doesn't affect anything. No. Um, I guess, well, until Duvall gets shot, <laughs> which is another thing, which I, I, I appreciate the decision. And this might just be like a runtime thing. But by the time they shot Duvall in that final heist, there's no time for consequence. Like, no, there's interesting. There is no consequence. And maybe that's, I don't know, its own thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just, okay, this is how stuff works in Chicago. This is how politics works. The second the guy gets shot in his house, America's ready to move on. Yep. And we're just going to vote for his son because it's a sympathy vote. And we're not going to interrogate this any further. And that's what the political monster does. It eats people up and it spits them out. You know, and perhaps that's what it was. It was just his time was up. And so now, and sort of as a metaphor for for the political race. So there's some cynicism there. Sure, certainly. <laughs> oh yeah, no, the city stuff is awesome. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I cannot rave enough. We, I know we just did 20 minutes on it. <laughs> I, I really wanted even more of the political stuff. I thought it was, it just rang so true to me, mm-hmm. and and it just, it gave me an area of life, or it gave me a picture of an area of life that I'm very interested in, even though it's not really focused on much in film. You true. know. So what we're saying is that Steve McQueen should direct a sequel to The Wire. Yes, I want another season of The Wire, and I want Steve McQueen. No, no, no. I mean a movie sequel. Oh, shit. In the realm of Breaking Bad. No, I want more. I want another season. <laughs> I want yeah, three more seasons of The Wire. Everybody does. Oh, The Wire's fucking great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really have much more to say. I love the heist. I, as yep. we went through each of these performances, I love the performances. I love the tension. <laughs> I love Kalua right as his car's about to crash. He doesn't even do anything. He's like... Yeah, I'm fucked. Right. And then smash. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> but you slowly see the car creep up behind him, which is the best yeah, thing. I noticed that too. It's like, right. It's coming. And there was it's also good. an audible laughter in our theater when Kalua stole the van with all the money in it. Yep. And then the women are just sort of left on the side of the road <laughs> to be like, oh shit, what are we going to do now? And there was one guy a couple rows ahead of us that just burst out into laughter. <laughs> that was great. That was, uh, that, that, you know what that was? That's exactly how I sounded during Mother. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, a, a great illustration to, to give you an idea of what I sounded like during Mother. When the baby got eaten. Yes. Spoiler. <laughs> Yep. And that sounds a lot worse when you put it to words. Mm. Uh, yeah, the Carrie Coon stuff never went anywhere either. With uh, yeah, I didn't know what that was even about. That yeah, was a, was a little. She odd. was involved in the taking of the money. And I guess. Yeah. I guess they were accomplices. What was I guess the ultimate plan here? What was Liam Neeson's plan? Just to run away and have a clean slate and start a new life. I guess. So was it? He was gonna. I didn't know. He was gonna. He would. He was paid to steal the money for uh, Colin Farrell. Yes. Right. And then the plan was to give the notebook to Viola Davis, so she could sell the notebook to Brian Tyree Henry. Mm-hmm. And so they were going to then attempt the heist, 
And so, in other words, he could make money on both ends of it. They were, he was going to play them against each other. Was that the idea? I guess. Was that his plan? And then he would be able to run away into the sunset. I suppose so. Okay. Because was the plan was was the money ever supposed to be stolen? I guess is my question. Probably uh, the the ultimate heist. Yeah. No. That I, was never supposed to happen. No. Then why sell the notebook to the other guy? I don't know. I mean, if someone's going to get the plans. They weren't like a bad batch of plans. <laughs> See what happens when I'm talking about when movies get too plotty. Right. That's <laughs> why I hate it when people are like, I like complex plots. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. You like good storytelling. Right. You don't like complex plots. Well, you like good stories, not good plots. Yeah. There's a difference between story and plot. I hate it when people don't know how to distinguish the two. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, you're right. It, uh, it sort of fell apart. But other than that, here, here's what I'll say. If you like just a popcorn caper, this with, is it. With substance. With a little bit more. Yeah. With just a little bit, with enough more. Yeah. Not too much more. Perfect this, amount. Yeah. This movie will make you very, very happy. It's really good, guys. It's and, my number... Yeah, you're interested in this, aren't you? <laughs> I am. Uh, we'll get there later in the year, obviously, but what do you think right now? I want to say it's my number... Five? Five? Yeah. Yeah, it's higher for me. Oh, I figured. Yeah. I still go, let, let me think about this. You were never really here. Uh, a Star is Born, Hereditary. <laughs> <laughs> and then a movie I can't mention, and then Widows. Oh, fuck. Is that where we're going? Is that what we're doing right now? Holy shit, y'all, see Widows, man. And you know what else you should do? <laughs> is you should tune into our next podcast, which is coming right now yep. on your RSS feed of choice. We're doing hours worth of Buster Scruggs action. <laughs> what a great sentence. We're doing an hour of Buster Scruggs action. Yeah, that's right. Coming up on Movie Hopping. Guys, I love you. Check us out, thoughtsmedia.com or tmt.media for more of our garbage. Where are you on Twitter? I am at some Adam Hall. And I'm at Funny Nico Tweets. Have you been uh, working on some new tweets lately? I have been working on uh, so many a new a wonderful tweets. Have you been, have you been uh, brainstorming some tweets? <laughs> Fuck you. Are you working on your third <laughs> or fourth draft of your latest tweet? Where are you on that? Are you ready to publish? Oh, man. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm rolling in it now with my fucking tweets. Don't even get me started anyway. <laughs> Check out this asshole. He's got some good movie-related stuff on there. I do. Uh, All right, guys. Another podcast coming right now. Love you so very, very much. And until next time. Happy movie hopping.